Hello, I'm here with Doug and Caitlin to talk about space lasers. But first, Caitlin has got Uranus. Go ahead. Yes, so James Webb Space Telescope recently turned its camera towards Uranus, and it took some wonderful pictures of Uranus. Uh, I'll pull up the article right now. Um, uh, so this is on space.com. This is by Keith Cooper, who wrote the original article. And you can see one of the images here. So you can see that Uranus is sort of on its side. Uh, sort of, it sort of looks like a, a hole in space, if you will. And the reason why it looks like that is because Uranus has rings around it, many rings, in fact. And it had these brilliant rings, which are very hard to see, and also has 27 moons. Um, I don't know if you can see all 27 in this image. Some of them are embedded in the rings, but several like uh, Titania, and you can definitely see in this image. And Uranus is just such a wonderful place because it's the only planet in the solar system that rotates on its side. So instead of rotating like we do where once a day is you know, sort of going around the equator, um, it sort of points its pole towards the sun at so almost, it, yeah. So, so it's rotating towards what would be our North Pole. Kind of. So, so it, it, it yeah, so it, it sort of rolls, it's sort of, instead of, so if, if you think of Earth as spinning like a top, yeah, uh, Uranus sort of rolls around like a ball yeah. as it goes around the sun. Um, so that means the sun will traverse like a spiral in the sky, sitting right at the peak and then doing sort of wobbles bigger and bigger. Yeah, and so it's not like... it's not perfectly ninety degrees. So if you're in the yeah. right spot on Uranus, you can yeah. see the sun sort of dip down below the horizon and up again, and dip down below the horizon at the mm -hmm. right, the just at the right spot. Now, what's interesting is that Uranus is the seventh planet in the solar system. Not not the eighth. So beyond Uranus, beyond Uranus is Neptune, but Uranus is also the coldest planet in the solar system, despite mm -hmm. not being the furthest. And scientists don't know why that is. Well, and I've read that Jupiter gets twice as much heat from internal processes as from the sun. So right. I would think that the sun is not really the main source of heat for these planets anyway. It, it's not, uh, but for whatever reason. Uranus just does not produce much internal heat as well. So it, it it's one of the coldest places and one of the most toxic. Um, I believe m much, much of the clouds are hydrogen sulfide. Mm. Um, and the bluish hue, and I'll go back to the image. Um, so this is the full sort of frame image of Uranus. But um, if you see this hue here, which is not true color hue. I mean, it's, remember, James Webb is looking at infrared. Right. But if you look at, at Uranus through a regular telescope, and I wish, oh, I, sh I I just got some images of Uranus the other night, and I should have probably got them up for the podcast, but I forgot. Um, but if you look through it, through it, it looks like this sort of bluish hue, light bluish hue, and that's from the methane in the atmosphere. Um, and one of the other cool things about um, Uranus is that as you descend into, into the atmosphere, the pressure increases so much that it turns some of the carbon that's in the methane into small diamonds. So it actually rains diamonds on Uranus. Now I've heard that the um, the rings of Saturn don't really last very long. And I want to guess the same thing would be true of these rings. They 
they, they last they last a good while they last hundreds of thousands of years at least mm -hmm. but um all, all rings are inherently unstable and so they must be being replenished by satellites breaking up or something i guess yeah yeah so what happens is that satellites go into the roche limits of right the planet which is the area where the tidal forces essentially like break it apart and yeah. break apart the planet they turn it into rings um but unfortunately it is a little unstable so yeah yeah that's cool all right and doug has uh the nicola founder yeah so nicola founder his name is trevor milton and for those of you who don't know um nicola trucks <clears throat> was uh created by a by an individual called called Trevor Milton. And he's just been convicted, similar to Elizabeth Holmes, of fraud, and is spending four years in prison. He was just sentenced this week. And unlike Elizabeth Holmes, he walked away with $4 billion with his scam. And let me give you a little background about the whole story of Nikola Trucks, because I really think he had a, a pretty clever business model. And that he wanted, instead of going with uh, like Tesla trucks, going electric, his idea was to go with hydrogen power. And we have no hydrogen power infrastructure, if you will. Right. But the, the brilliant part of his sales pitch was that California has excess solar electricity. We take water, we break that apart into hydrogen and oxygen, and there's your uh, hydrogen power. And instead of having to put hydrogen um, fueling stations all throughout the state, his idea was to put one in Los Angeles, one in San Francisco, one in Las Vegas, and just have the trucking route between the three of those. And that way, they only needed to go to one spot. They're going there anyway. These are big semi-trucks. So they would go to from Los Angeles or the port in Los Angeles to San Francisco Bay Area, refuel and come back. The hydrogen um, would come from, the, again, the splitting of water from excess electricity, specifically solar, that our power companies in California have to get rid of, that they're actually paying companies to take. Hmm. But And he also did a two- billion dollar partnership with General Motors and General Motors did not do any due diligence on this and quickly learned that it was a fraud and there was a company uh, about three years ago I think called the Hindenburg Group who listed 50 frauds that Trevor was um, was trying to uh, or was sharing with shareholders, investors. Wow. And the most famous one is probably the the truck that he towed up in, I think it was Utah. And they tilted the camera just right that the truck was was rolling down a hill under gravity and being pulled by gravity instead of being powered by hydrogen. Right. And he also had a truck show where he was showing off his Nikola truck. And um, people took high-res photos and realized this was just off-the-shelf off products that he spray-painted and covered with masking tape uh -huh. and presented as his own super secret sauce, if you will. 
So again, Trevor Milton was uh, arrested around the same time that Elizabeth Holmes was, but he walked away um, with originally two billion, and I'm not sure how he got up to four billion right now. He had a very good legal team, but it looks like he lost a jury. A jury convicted him. And he's also another claim to fame is that he bought the most expensive home in Utah at $44 million a few years back. Hmm. So this is kind of the end of the story for uh, Trevor. And it's been a long, interesting story if you follow court cases like that and fraud. But uh, four years for him, nine years for Elizabeth Holmes which uh, is kind of interesting, but at least he'll have 4 billion when he gets out, maybe six if he invested it well. Like in Dogecoin. Yeah, (laughs) there you go. Well, uh, there's an article on GDNet that I found that caught my attention. Apple has another security feature we're turning on. There was this uh, security feature that came out about a year ago intended to stop the predator malware for high tech for high value targets but this one here is stolen device protection and the idea is they think somebody will watch you enter your pin learn your pin and then steal your phone and log in with your pin and find all your stuff and apparently that's enough of a threat that they have a specific defense against it so you turn on this thing called stolen device protection and it will um make it repeat your biometric authentication in addition to your pin to do risky activities like changing your password and such or viewing your passwords. So it sounds pretty good. It's not on by default. might be a good thing to turn on if you're worried about that threat model, which I guess you would be if you're uh, around other people that see you entering your pin, which I guess almost everybody is considering how many times Caitlin has hacked me, hacked me stole my pin several times then started just stealing my phone and sticking it in front of my face to make it unlock. And in general, this would be pretty good to, to help limit the uh, amount of times I get hacked by Caitlin. <laughs> anyway. So this brings up kind of an interesting story. Um, there was not too long ago, a newlywed couple that was flying to Hawaii and the husband, new husband fell asleep. The new wife holds up the phone, unlocks it while the husband's sleeping. Yeah. Notices pictures of a different woman on the plane. Got into a big fight. And as I recall, the airplane had to make an emergency landing because of the violence that was occurring on board. Yeah, I think I needless to that. needless to say, I think they got a quick divorce. But would but this the prevent solution would be yeah. to lock your phone better? So would would this prevent against that? Uh no, I don't think so. I don't think it stops no. you seeing the pictures. It stops you doing certain things. So, besides, so it's all, yeah, it's not a full unlock of the phone, right? Uh, certain high value activities like changing your passwords or viewing passwords are blocked until you repeat biometric authentication, which she had. So, if you turn on just biometric authentication without a pin, then I think you don't have much safety. I see. I see. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let's go back to Caitlin with the video of a cat. Yes. So uh, obviously NASA is, you know, putting our tax money to good use and sending cat pictures throughout the solar system, which is 
fantastic. I love this. <laughs> uh, so, so let's let's go over to oops uh, over to the browser. So this is CNN, and this is by Ashley Strickland. Um, and here's an image of the the video right here, and we can play a little bit of the the video. Oops, here we go. Just a cat, of course, chasing a laser pointer, <laughs> and uh, the cat. Oh God, what's the cat's name? It's uh, uh, I'll remember in a second. But yeah, the cat is chasing a laser pointer. Now this is interesting because um, the video was sent using laser light, essentially. So it's a very appropriate video. Uh, cats in space uh, chasing laser pointers. So this, um, what's the cat's name? Uh, playful orange tabby. There's a name of the 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 cat. I totally forget. Do you remember Sam? I don't remember. Uh, name. Uh, no, doesn't. We, uh, named Taters. That's that's right. Taters. Taters the cat. So <laughs> Taters the cat. Um, and you can see here. You can also see the the NASA console in the background. Uh, I'm sure there's some interesting logs that we can go through from this screenshot. Um. I don't know why NASA allowed this sort of thing to be uh, displayed on on the news sites, but whatever. <laughs> um, that's just me being cybersecurity at NASA for a long time. Anyway, so uh, yeah, they they have. If you look in, in the image, you can see where the spacecraft is going. You know where Earth is, um, and essentially, the spacecraft that they sent the image to is going to Psyche. So right now, it is around thirty million kilometers away. So Psyche is an asteroid in the asteroid belt. And so it's it's on its way there. Uh, it's way past the moon. It's I, If I had to guess, I th I'd say it's at least 10 to 12 times as far away from the moon. Uh, so this is deep space. Um, and they were testing infrared laser communication. Um, and the exact speeds are not known. They say that it is about as fast as most broadband connections. And it downloaded 1.2 terabits of information over the course of um, an, of an evening. So we can we can sort of guesstimate here how fast this link is. Um, a little calculator. Uh, so we have one a terabit is a trillion bits. Um, let's see, that's ah, no 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 fast. Thousand so gigs. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, a thousand. So that's a kilobyte. Uh, that's a megabyte. Okay, so kilo, kilo, mega, giga. No, no, the you know, hundreds instead of thousands there. No, we're, we're, we're times 10. Oh, wait, yeah, times a thousand. Thousand times thousand times yeah, thousand. Yeah, but I mean, there's a thousand gigs overnight, which is what, like six hours, so. It's gonna yeah, be you, oh yeah, yeah. So so yeah. So so it'd be about eight eight gigs, eight gigs over an evening. Yeah. Uh, no wait, no ter no terabit. It's like, it's like twenty gigs an hour. Yeah, like twenty gigs. Yeah, something. Yeah, several gigabytes. Per, yeah, I can't do math. It's too. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah. So terabit. We'll we'll divide by eight. So that's about a hundred and. So I'm getting like 10 megs, my yeah. estimation, about 10 megabits per second. Yeah, yeah. So it's not bad. But but keep in mind the distance too. Yeah, um, and before they, we had terrible bandwidth to deep space, right? Like sort of dial-up yeah. bandwidth. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, a lot of the deep space network was developed 
in like the nineties or even earlier. Uh, and the technology really hasn't improved that much because we're, we're dealing with very long distance distances and you don't want the data getting garbled or messed up on the way. So basically uh, if you ride a spaceship out to deep space, you'd have terrible internet. It'd be a miserable experience. Well, yeah, you have terrible internet and you have to deal with, of course, lag, which is a big thing because on Earth, yeah, you might get a few milliseconds of lag. And if anyone who's ever dealt with lag issues before will know that milliseconds is annoying. Now, imagine if light takes minutes or hours to reach its destination. Um, can you imagine trying to do a Zoom call? You know, all those people volunteering to move to Mars for Elon Musk, I think if they find out that you're going to get 10 kilobits per second internet, they would all just cancel. Oh, that, I mean, that, it wouldn't, how would, you couldn't even really do the internet from Mars. The, everything would just time out because uh, Mars is at least 20 light minutes away. At well, least. that's it. I'm not going. Yeah. So, but you have to consider round trip time as well. So you, you have to get the signal to the servers on Earth and then back to Mars. So that's going to be at least 40 minutes, but probably longer because usually Mars is not a direct opposition to the Earth. And yep. and so, you know, you really could not have like a real time internet thing where you just like download a page and stuff. You would, you would basically have to do something like you scrape Wikipedia and then you send all of Wikipedia over to Mars. Uh, in order for something like that to work. We we need caching servers. Yes, that, that's the first thing we need to put on Mars. Yes. Cache. Yep. Yes. We, we need caching servers. The other thing too, of course, is that that's actually how the deep space network works is that you have right. like satellites, for example, orbiting Mars. And if you have a rover on Mars, as one does, it will send data to those um, orbiting um, satellites. Now, those orbiting satellites will sort of cache the data. And then when an opportunity arises, because it's not always available, but when an Earth is in view, it will then send the data. But let's say Earth isn't directly in view, or, or maybe some other satellite is in view, it'll send it to that satellite, where it, that satellite will then cache the data. Yeah. And then when an opportunity arises, it'll then send it to something closer to Earth. And when an opportunity arises, that will start sending data um, down to a ground station. Now, sometimes you can't get the full packet, so it'll do like parcel pieces of packets and caching. It's very complicated, but that's how deep space networking or, or delay tolerant networking works in the deep space network. Yeah, a lot like email. Yeah. Yeah. All anyway, right. it's it's very slow. It's not it's not super fast. Um, but so, if you, if all you're doing is sending cat images, I mean, it's so Wi-Fi repeaters with with uh, caching. Pretty much, yes. Yeah, and a protocol designed for that, so there's no. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. And Caitlin, if I recall correctly, when the uh, uh, Curiosity and what was the other wrote uh, uh, the two Spirit robots, and, Spirit and Curiosity. Yeah, Spirit and Curiosity. As I recall, when those landed, um, it took 45 minutes to issue a command and get confirmation of the command is they started moving the robots around. So it's um, not exactly that that uh, quick, I guess I should say. Slow frame rate. Yep. <laughs> yeah. It's... We need to find faster light, clearly. Yeah, clearly, clearly. Now, anyway. now, what's really interesting is we don't know if light is only slow in one direction or if it's slow in both directions. We still haven't figured that out. What? 
No, we still haven't because you can only measure the return path of of light. And so if you if if you look at the data going between Earth and Mars, one would reasonably assume that the speed of light is constant in all directions, but it hasn't been proven or at least experimentally shown that to be the case. I think the Michelson-Morley experiment proved it. Well, years. no, Michelson, Michelson-Morley disproved the luminiferous ether. Okay, and the so whole point was to see that light moved the same in both directions, which it did. No, but you, mean? You, you cannot, you cannot view, you cannot view the, uh, you cannot measure the speed of light in one way. It's always the reach. You always have to bounce it back. Hmm. So we do not know if light actually. No, it's it's reasonable to assume that it does, but it hasn't been experimentally confirmed that light um, moves the same speed in all directions. I'm very skeptical. But um, anyway, let's. Uh, yeah, but you're right, Sam. That was with the Michael Michelson Morley experiment. Yeah, they did two about. things at right angles. But she's right. They measured the round trip time at right angles. But I have. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure you could just you could prove that it's the same time in both directions. Although you're right, that isn't directly measured. There's anyway. Uh, let's go on to you. You have another story from Marketplace. Yeah. So this is actually from. Um, let me just look here for a second. From the Wall Street Journal, this is an article wow. that Meta slash Facebook, Instagram, their algorithm is um, somehow favoring online predators. Oh, and, yeah. and uh, you know, this is probably something, you know, you've heard about that this is now being kind of publicly explained to the lay people out there. Nothing new, I don't think, but it's interesting that they haven't caught this yet and corrected I it. I saw an expose a few months ago where they, they have names of Facebook channels that make it obvious that they're sexual predators and they do nothing about it. Exactly. Right. You know, just, right. and you know, apparently Twitter just announced that uh, all sorts of hate speech are now just complicitly permitted. So. Yeah, that's the topic for another <laughs> discussion, I think, but yeah. 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 You know, that this, I think um, the real product of social networking is content moderation. That's the only thing that makes it, palatable enough to stay on the social network and yet uh these these big ones are not doing their job yeah i would agree but yeah. then we had that whole issue with fauci and the government uh talking to facebook twitter about right. what should be shared when right. when it comes to covid yeah that's the problem i mean when the government yeah. like to step in when you have disinformation but that arguably violates the First Amendment and might be opening a can of worms you don't want to open. Exactly. So right now, the Biden administration is blocked against telling them anything, which is perhaps an overreaction, but that's where we are. Yeah, that's where we're at right now. Agree. All right. Anyway, there's a Bitcoin article I thought was interesting because Bitcoin, Bitcoin is arguably a complete failure right from the beginning in that the fundamental point of Bitcoin was that it would be distributed among many organizations in many nations so no one nation could control it. And yet, because they planned it, so the, the calculation only involves calculating SHA-256 of SHA-256, it turns out the only thing to limit your efficiency as a Bitcoin miner is the speed of the processor. And that meant that only certain places 
um, could ever win, which replaces right next to a power plant where due to corruption, or you can get free power or cheap power. So it was, for a long time, it was totally concentrated in the nation of China. And China could have performed a 51% attack if they wanted to. But the government of China, instead of like pressuring all the Bitcoin miners in China to join a conspiracy and cheat people, instead just said, what is this Bitcoin garbage? They threw them out of the country. But what happened after that is there's a new consolidation. They have a nice chart of the mining uh, percentage here. And it turns out that 27% is done by Foundry USA and 27% is done by Antpool. So if those two major pools got together, they would have more than 50% of all the mining power, which violates the whole fundamental security policy of Bitcoin, which, by the way, you know, as before, Bitcoin was supposed to be immune against any government, government action or conspiracy, and it never achieved that. In practice, nobody seems to have formed that conspiracy to corrupt the blockchain, but they could. And that's why, you know, later, later uh, protocols are designed differently to try to make it harder for one person to dominate that much of the mining. But anyway, nothing bad has actually happened yet, but the fundamental security principle has been violated yet again. Anyway. So what, what, what do you think the future is of Bitcoin? I think it will carry on just fine. It's, it's survived time. It has its flaws like anything else, but it's. Uh, I think it will remain pretty much like gold to store value on into the future. Yeah. Um, people find some value in it and it does withstand the attacks and security flaws it has pretty well. So I think Bitcoin and Ethereum will be with us for a long time. Okay. But I, but I don't think they're going to become a significant part of the economy. I think it'll remain down in like 1% of the economy kind of thing. It, it's still going to be fringe. Sure. Because there really is no need for a normal person to use it. It's only right. going to be used by people that want to do tax evasion and money laundering or perhaps a few other strange cases like El Salvador, where their local <laughs> currency is so terrible, they thought it'd be better to be based on Bitcoin and speculators and stuff. But, you know, normal people will just use dollars and Visa and MasterCard. Yeah. So is Tesla, I they originally uh, or at one time were accepting Bitcoins for payment, right? They were and Dogecoin. And, oh, and Dogecoin. Elon Musk totally, and Elon Musk found that he could pump the price of Dogecoin up and down with tweets. And uh, there were some lawsuits supposedly for like price manipulation. I don't think they went anywhere, but uh, he's a whale. And that's the problem with all these, the whales, the people who own a lot of it, just drag the market around, manipulate it right. like crazy. Of course, yeah. you could say the same thing about the stock market, but anyway, you're, you're sort of a, a flea on the back of a whale being dragged, jerked around by a force beyond your control. If you right. invest in these things. Anyway, uh, let's go back to Caitlin with Project Kuiper. I've heard some things about that. Right. Before we do that, though, I'll throw your attention here to Space Australia, since there was some contention earlier. Um, and this is the paragraph that I want to uh, quote from. Uh, so this is a direct quote. Any variation on this experiment, meaning testing the, the speed of light, We'll come. We'll have the same compilation. We cannot measure the speed of light in one direction because relativity prevents us from maintaining synchronized clocks. The result is that the speed of light is really the average speed over a round trip journey, and we cannot be certain that the speed is the same in both directions. Bah humbug. <laughs> I know it, it doesn't seem right. <laughs> but, but I'm it, pretty skeptical. 
But you yeah. are correct that a simple, ordinary experiment won't find it. I bet you could design an experiment to find it, but maybe I'm wrong. I, I People have tried. Um, smarter people than me, I will admit. I, I'm not... So- so could, couldn't you do the the experiment I believe they did in the '60s, where you have two cesium clocks? Well, yeah, but you don't know they're synchronized, right? And how could you know? This this, this point is uh, is a well. How, how did they do the experiment where they carried one on a plane, flew around the world for 24 hours? Well, they carried it somewhere and then brought it back and compared. Right. It. That's the problem. The only thing you can ever know about is the round trip. If you take it somewhere else. And don't bring it back. You can't compare the credit of the time anymore. But if you have two of them and you send a beam from one cesium clock to the other, yeah. you've got an to- element of time. Yes. And if you send it back, you've got the element of time. And you right. can see if those two agree with each other. And if the cesium clocks are stationary, then you don't have um, any time dilation because of movement. Well, you're assuming the Lorentz equation to try to prove the Lorentz equation. That's the problem. You don't know that the clocks remain synchronized when you separated them. Ah, okay. That's what you're trying Not to it. test. That's why she's right. There is a subtlety here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They may be desynchronized in such a way that it looks like they're synchronized. But what's really going on is that light is just traveling in one direction much slower than the other. You see. Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's why I'm not the physicist. Yeah, yeah. But I did take physics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway. well, yeah. So, so I'm going to get on my high horse since we're on a podcast, and oh. I will say, in 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 school, science was always taught as we're sort of in the final stages. It's not until much after school when I started, you know, doing a lot more STEM stuff that I realized. There's a lot of stuff we still don't really know. <laughs> Very fundamental things. Um, and, you know, and that was kind of off-putting to me um, going through schools. I thought, oh, this is solved stuff. There's nothing left to do except, you know, minutia. But there's still a lot of fundamental questions uh, left to be answered. So, Oh, I think there are. And, of course, there's the, the important questions uh, to human life yeah. that are not directly related to science and technology, which are really more important. Mm-hmm. And we haven't made a whole lot of progress on that at all, like sociology, politics, and psychology. Yeah. What is the what is the best way to run a society? Is it truly democracy? How do we know That's this? Right. They're probably very happy. Maybe the maybe people are happier under a dictatorship. People seem to gravitate it towards it for some reason. People Why are is quite that? happy and high morale in China. Yeah. And eighty yeah. percent support for Putin in Russia. So. It's not. Well, here's the thing with a dictator, with a dictatorship. You know, and I heard this in the Middle East, and someone said, "You want democ- You want us to have democracy here? You know, with a dictator, if we want a new subway, we want a new, we want a new freeway. The dictator says it shall be, and it is done. You'll argue for 20, 50 years. Look at look at uh, high speed rail in California. How long have we been debating over that? Yeah, if you have a dictator, it would have been done and in service and losing money, instead yeah, that, of us debating for twenty years and having it lose money. That's what George Bush Jr. said. You know, he said a dictatorship would be much more efficient. And then, like the next day, sort of like Donald Trump, he said, "Gee, why is everybody mad at me?" You know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
No, absolutely right. Uh, dictators can be efficient. The problem is they, they do tend to go corrupt. So maybe the best thing would be having some sort of AI dictator. Well, does that mean that uh, we don't have corrupt politicians either? I mean, that's the Get problem. Yeah. The, the dictator makes decisions, but the problem is when he decides against you, you're just screwed. <laughs> right. And, you know, there's something he doesn't like, like some ethnic group he disapproves of, and they're just screwed. Right. Right. Yeah. So maybe a dem democratically controlled authoritarian figure where you, you have the citizenship yeah. doing the programming for like an AI that makes all the decisions, something like that. Now, there you go. We, 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 yeah. be a DAO on the blockchain will be the perfect yeah. form of government. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are very fundamental questions. We really don't have concrete answers to. We have philosophical answers, uh, but there's a reason why in grade school, we always teach kids, you know, freedom's so important. Democracy is so important because we really don't have the facts to back that up. So we have to That's just right. sort of so we, we, drill it in. Yeah. We deliver the propaganda to support our system, just like everybody else. We're the greatest. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Anyway, I, I think America is great. Don't, yeah, well, you know, know, you know what's the greatest is Project Kuiper, of course. Yes, Project Kuiper. Thank you for getting me back yes. on topic. So um, Project Kuiper ha had recently sent up two satellites. It's been a huge success. Um, and just like the cat video that was sent via laser, mm -hmm. the Kuiper satellites successfully tested their laser communications as well. And what's really cool about this is that the satellites can then have these super high speed uh, interfaces with each other so that um, the satellites can, as as Doug said, cache the data, you know, and then get the data back down immediately. Because one of the big problems with satellites is that they're a bit far away. So you do get a bit of latency. Plus the satellites need to sometimes you know, go to like specific ground stations and, you know, figure out how to get the data from the ground station to that specific satellite to the user. Uh, but having these high speed optical links between satellites will improve its efficiency many fold. And not only that, it also integrates well with like AWS services. So if you're developing a product like an aircraft that needs internet uh, connectivity, because currently what's happening is that if you go on like a flight, you'll notice that the internet is slow and it costs a ton of money. The reason why that is, is because they are using geostationary satellites, which are super far away, super laggy, you know, and just sort of slow and, and not that efficient. Um, but if, if you're building a product like an aircraft um, and you want the aircraft fleet to like communicate with each other in real time, you can do that with Kuiper. So, I mean, that's amazing. You, you, can't, you can't do that with traditional systems or too much lag and stuff like that. But, but with something like Kuiper, which all the satellites can have direct communication with each other with these high-speed internet uh, or high-speed laser links, you can have uh, one airplane over here communicating with like another airplane over here on the other side of the world, uh, just using these high-speed optical links, and they can sort of synchronize with each other and do stuff. I mean, the, the opportunities are, are endless. And I'm so glad that that Kuiper is turning out so well. And it's a great way to sort of kick Starlink in the booty because it's going to be faster and better. So Starlink doesn't have this satellite to satellite laser communication? Nope. Oh. So that does how, how, do the, how do the satellites, <clears throat> pardon me, with Starlink communicate with each other? Or do that, they? I'm, I'm sure they do. It's probably all just RF um, stuff. Yeah, but, okay. Um, 
So yeah, lower but, but, yeah, much lower speed. I mean, just just you know, Kuiper's is coming out later, and it's just using more modern technology. It's using higher frequencies on the ground side, so things will be faster. Um, and it is also having these like cool optical links that between the satellites. And of course, AWS is also uh, very much partnered with the U.S. government with like GovCloud. And wait, did I mention that the person who wrote this article? I don't think I did. So um, I'll, I'll go back and do that. So this is on Popular Science and this is by Mac uh, Degarin. I want to give uh, Mac credit here. Anyway, um, so AWS and Amazon is is works closely with, with the U.S. government with like GovCloud and stuff. And uh, Kuiper will integrate with that as well. So it's not just like consumers who are going to, going to be making good use of this. It's also the government, which is going to drive down the prices for, for consumers as well. Um, so I, I so, think. Yeah. So what, how is it we can communicate faster with a laser than we can with RF? Aren't, aren't they both moving theoretically in a vacuum at the speed of light? They are. So when we're, when we're communicating with a, like a radio wave, we're generally not, it's not the wave itself. That's like, we're not like blinking it on and off. It's the data is usually encoded either in the frequency or in usually more often the phase. Uh, so, the, so yeah. either amplitude modulation or frequency modulation. Actually, it's usually phase modulation. Okay. Or phase uh, mod. Yeah. 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 So for digital communications, it's, it's a, it's a combination of phase and amplitude. So this is where the, where the term QAM comes from quadrature amplitude modulation, where okay. the, where you, you look at the phase and you look at the amplitude. So, and you plot it out and you're able to encode data. Now at higher frequencies, the phase changes can happen much quicker, which means that you can get faster data throughput. And you can also deal with, a larger uh, bandwidth as well, because that's another thing you have to think about with data transfer is the bandwidth available to you. So let's say I wanted to use a megabyte or not a, a megahertz of bandwidth um, at lower frequencies, for example, like AM radio, that would take up the entire band, right? You, you just can't do that. Right. But if you are using something like Wi-Fi or or even more more specifically, something like you know, the KA band, you know, a megahertz is nothing when you're talking about something like, you know, 30, 30 gigahertz in, on, in the, in the spectrum. Uh, so you have more bandwidth um, and the phase phases are, are closer together. So you, you can, you know. Okay. Yeah. The carrier frequency is much higher. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah. All right. Now, why don't you go ahead, Doug, you had another story from marketplace. I thought. Yeah, so this is Marketplace and Consumer Reports, Matt Schwartz. And uh, this is all about trying to protect your data privacy. And consumers are complaining of consent fatigue. And as we all know, when we visit a website, we have to accept cookies or deny cookies. And it's just overwhelming people. And I don't know if there's a solution. Nobody really cares about the cookies anymore, I don't think. Because if you want to visit the website, you you got to do it one way or the other. Otherwise, you have a banner or something that's blocking your view. And is if you do accept, then there's tracking that can begin um, 
buy those cookies. So, and anyway, there's a, there's a risk with that is where this is going. Yep. Yep. Uh, I've seen people blame GDPR for these stupid cookie warnings you see all the time. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's a, there's a similar rule in California where they have to warn you if a potentially cancer causing substance is present. So you just see it everywhere on gas stations, movie theaters, everywhere. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Kind yeah. Of like the boy who cried wolf. It ceases to have any meaning. Yeah. yeah it's, yeah. it's everywhere. Yeah, I've even so, seen it like on a pack of cigarettes and stuff. Like it's just who as knows? if that was bad for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one I thought was interesting is uh, this was a few years ago. I went into local hardware store and they had little refrigerators of Coca Cola, and on the refrigerator it has a cancer warning that contents, meaning in the refrigerator, Coca Cola may cause cancer. Well, I wasn't where Coca-Cola would, but I imagine the refrigerant in the pipes or something might. Well, no, but this way they're covered just in case Coca-Cola does cause cancer. Oh, well. They've, they've informed you before you purchase the product. Uh, well, anyway, the last one I got here is from CyberScoop. Uh, so this these uh, ransomware groups over the last month or two would actually report their ransomware attack to the government and say, these people failed to report in time, go punish them. Well, it turns out one of the many flaws about that is that law hadn't taken effect yet, but now it has. It just went into effect. This is the rule that requires publicly traded companies to report a breach within four days. And the, the idea here is that that breach might affect your stock price. And so your stock, your investors should know. And some people are mad because there's already another rule. That's the Security Exchange Commission that requires you to notify people within four days when you get hacked. But there's already another rule that forces um, critical infrastructure companies to tell a government agency within three, tell CISA within three days. But anyway, they, they apply to slightly different uh, businesses. And people say they're complementary instead of contradictory. So we'll see what comes of this. They've, those both seem like really short amounts of time to me. It seems to me like you very well might not really know you've got a breach. And I think one consequence of this is people will now be afraid to have any emails about a possible breach. Because uh, then you'd be dragged into court later saying, this email shows that you knew about it more than four days before. So anyway, we'll see what comes of all this. But uh, it's taking effect now. So probably within the next few months, we're going to see some enforcement actions, punishing people for failing to tell the government within four days that they had been hacked. Now, is this U.S. only? Yes, I think they're both U.S. Okay. only. It's um, okay. U.S. Security Exchange Commission and the other one is SISA. Yeah. So yeah, this is just the U.S. I think Europe has their own reporting requirements. I I don't know. I'm not familiar. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Europe usually has these things sooner. Anyway, it'll affect American companies, and I'm sure there'll be some drama coming out of that. Anyway, I think that's it for this one, and we'll have another one on Friday. Sounds good. All right.